reading comes from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 12. This can be found on page 818 of your pew Bibles. Second Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We will always carry in around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our God and we are your people. We ask, Father, that you would begin to fill our minds with the truth of your word. That you would begin to fill our hearts with your spirit to love and obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The pastor of a megachurch recently requested $65 million to purchase a luxury private jet so that he could safely and swiftly share the good news of the gospel worldwide, or at least his version of the gospel, one of health and wealth. And without this holy grail of luxury private jets, this pastor and other members of his ministry were forced to travel the world on commercial flights in order to spread the word. The reasoning was, we plan to acquire this jet because it's, it's the best. It's a reflection of the level of excellence at which this organization chooses to operate. Now, it's evident that they have a very clear view of what their ministry should look like. It should be grand, it should be lavish. The things they use for ministry should reflect the level of excellence at which their ministry chooses to operate. Now, this is an extreme example that I'm sure most of us non-Christian or Christian, can easily find wrong on one level or another. Yet at the same time, if this is not how ministry is done or understood, if this is not how we value ministry, if this is not what the gospel is all about, if this is not how we as believers are called to live out our faith in spreading God's word to those around us, then what does gospel-centered ministry look like? Let's turn again to 2 Corinthians 4, 7-12, and I'll read the passage again. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, this is from the ESV, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. In high school, I had a Bible teacher who emphasized to us just the importance of key words, especially when reading our Bibles and just the different translations. And these key words are usually conjunctions, so we'd often ask, like how the song goes, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Wherever we see a wherefore or therefore, we want to see what it's there for. And in our class, we would often ask, and we would often settle on this fact, because we were somewhat immature, that we loved butts. We loved the big butts in the Bible. And so when Paul begins in verse 7 with a but, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, you know, it's clear that we will need to look back to understand what's ahead. Paul just spent a significant part of the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians talking about the glory of the new covenant. You know, opponents had again come into the church, they're stirring up trouble, and these opponents were fellow Jews, but they also believed in Christ. You know, Paul talks about them in uh, chapter 11. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? Are they servants of Christ? These Jews were also uh, those who believed in Christ. But, and here's another important but, they also believed in the continuing application of the Old Covenant. That is the Law of Moses. See, Moses represented this covenant, and, and he had such glory because he met with God. If you might remember back in Exodus, you know, it, the Israelites could not even gaze at Moses' face because of the glory that shone from his face from having met with God. And so these opponents reason, okay, if the Old Covenant had such a glorious figure as Moses, then the New Covenant, this gospel that Paul is preaching, should as well. Especially if Paul claims to have met the risen Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. However, Paul utterly failed to meet their standards of glory. His ministry was the exact opposite of what these opponents claimed it should be like. He was weak. He experienced affliction. He endured suffering. In chapter 11, again, he lists his sufferings as a follower of Christ. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers, danger Will Robinson, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So why should the Corinthians, why should these opponents listen to such an inglorious instrument as Paul when he espouses a glorious new covenant? Paul had just been talking about the glory of the new covenant, and now he answers the question of how this new covenant is still so glorious, how this gospel is still so glorious, when he and his ministry is not. 
And he answered this by giving the Corinthians and, and us today an understanding of what true ministry should look like. Of what ministry based on the true gospel should look like. You see, the Corinthians, you know, they were these new Christians drenched in their cultural values and bringing their Greco-Roman cultural values into their newfound faith. They had these uh, this understanding, this perception of what success looked like, of what glory looked like, of what honor looked like. That was the complete opposite of what the gospel is all about. And so gospel-centered ministry glorifies God and demonstrates His power, not ours. And Paul begins our passage today in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God in the face of Jesus Christ. This treasure is the gospel of the new covenant that is found in Christ Jesus. It's the very message that Paul preaches and with which his ministry embodies. Yet this treasure does not come by itself. This treasure comes in jars of clay. And Paul refers to himself as a jar of clay. Paul is referring to those who do ministry, those who spread God's word, and those who further God's kingdom as a jar of clay. And it's a very interesting characterization of those who do ministry. You see, if Paul was trying to argue against his opponents using their standards, this is a stupid argument. It's a weak argument at best. His opponents claim, you know, Paul, you're such an inglorious instrument full of weakness, enduring suffering. Why should we listen to what you say? And he says, yes, I am weak. That's, that's the point. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So he calls himself a jar of clay. Because we're beginning to see what gospel-centered ministry looks like. A jar of clay was common. It was fragile. It was expendable. It had little worth. When archaeologists dig up excavation sites, they find countless broken pieces of clay pots or jars of clay, the, the same jars of clay that Paul's talking about here. And a lot of them have writing on them, and which we call ashika. Now these ashika could have anything on them ranging from scripture text to something as mundane as grocery lists. The point being that for them, these clay pots were nothing special. That's how Paul describes himself. That's how he describes ministry. This contrast between the treasure and the jars of clay, between the content and the container, demonstrates that the content gives the container worth. Now, Paul is not glorious. His ministry isn't glorious. But what he preaches, what he proclaims, is not himself, but Jesus Christ as Lord, verse 5. And that's what matters. That's what's glorious. As I'm preparing to move to New York, I have to figure out what I'll be bringing with me. In my room right now, on one of my shelves beside my bed, I have this Nike shoebox. And you've probably seen... You know, dozens of these shoeboxes before at Foot Locker or Olympia Sports or any other shoe store. 
It's nothing special. It's decent sized, about 13 inches long and 9 inches wide and 5 inches deep. The whole box is covered in orange except for this tiny white Nike swoosh logo right on top in the center. And on the side of the box, also in white, the words, just do it. Now this box is, itself is nothing special. Now I probably have at least one or two more of these Nike boxes lying around in my house. And I actually have a gray Nike shoe box in the trunk of my Prius right now, holding my cleats, ready for ultimate after church on Sundays. But this particular orange Nike shoe box doesn't have shoes inside. What it does have is countless artifacts of memories from over the years. It has things like the program for my high school graduation, numerous sunshine mail or encardrograms from past winter youth retreats, the very first dollar I ever earned from my first job, the very first renminbi I earned from my internship in Shanghai, the score sheet from LaserQuest when Karis went to play yesterday, the list goes on. I plan to bring this box, not because the box itself is anything special, but because of what it contains, the, the treasure for me that it holds inside. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Likewise, in the winter of 1946 and 1947, there were three Bedouin shepherds who were tending their sheep. One of the herdsmen threw a rock through a small opening in one of the cliffs. And here the rock shatter an earthenware jar, a jar of clay, what Paul talks about here. So one of them lowered himself into the cave, probably tied a rope around a rock and went hand over hand and, and lowered himself down. And what he found was ten jars lining the walls. And when they looked inside, what they found is what would eventually be known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's manuscripts upon manuscripts of the Hebrew Bible and other texts. And this is considered one of the most important manuscript discoveries of the modern times. And when this story is recounted, as I've heard numerous times in many different classes, no one cares about the jars of clay. You know, when we talk about the story in class, we're not studying the jars of clay. We're studying the treasure that it holds inside, the, the Hebrew Bible, the, the scripture texts. And even these shepherd boys knew that it was the treasure inside that contained value, not the jars itself, or the jars themselves. They didn't look at these jars and think, oh, hey, mom will love these, or hey, I don't have to go to Ikea anymore. They left the jars and took the scrolls. But they wouldn't have discovered this treasure without the breaking of the jars of clay. I mean, can you imagine if that rock missed that jar? Can you imagine if that jar of clay was not a jar of clay, but of something more concrete, something more unbreakable? The world would have missed out on such an important treasure. We would, we would have never known what was there or what was inside of those jars. But it was through the breaking of that jar of clay that these shepherds saw this treasure. So when Paul talks about this treasure in jars of clay, it's precisely the fact that this treasure is in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is from God and not us. 
There is a divine purpose for this jar of clay, for a weak and glorious human vessel, as one who shares the word of God. And it's to show that this extraordinary degree of power belongs to God. The power to save, the power to deliver. Because ministry is not about being showy. Spreading God's word is not about being showy. It's not about our concern for how eloquent we speak, how well we come off. As these opponents claimed, these values that these opponents, these Corinthians held. It's not about the glitz and the glamour, but about the guts and the glory of suffering for Christ in preaching Christ crucified. The ingloriousness of Paul and his ministry magnifies the glory of God. Paul says in verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul's opponents commended themselves. They came from Jerusalem with letters of recommendation. They saw power arising from within themselves for their ministry. But Paul knew where the power lay, and that's partially why he writes this. Because the power lays with God. And just like God in creation said, let there be light, and there was light out of darkness. It is God who says, and not us, who says, let there be light in the hearts of those individuals to whom Paul ministers and to whom we share the gospel with. And it is in such a vessel as a jar of clay that this power is shown. Paul had been talking about the sufficiency and the glory of this ministry, but the danger, especially for the Corinthians with their Greco-Roman cultural values, of what was success, of what was glory, of what was honor, was to revere the conveyor, the vessel of the spiritual power, rather than the divine source, God. But Paul phrases this in this particular way, treasures in jars of clay, to show that the jars of clay has nothing to do with the treasure. You look at Paul, there'd be no mistake that the power was from God and not from him. Imagine this. A man takes his girlfriend out to dinner, a fancy dinner at Grill 23. He orders champagne, two 18-ounce, 100-day-age prime ribeye steaks. Midway through the dinner, he begins to reminisce to his girlfriend about their journey together, about how much he loves her. He slowly pulls out his chair and dirties that knee reaches into the inner pocket of his suit, and he pulls out a box. But not just any box. It's a box encrusted with countless one-carat Tiffany diamonds. And the girlfriend's eyes begin to sparkle, but it's only because of the countless diamonds that are reflecting off her eyes. (laughs) And as he opens the box slowly, the sparkle disappears. And what she sees is a simple, elegant, one-carat, solitaire engagement diamond ring. I mean, the girl can't complain, right? It's a very nice ring, but it comes in an even nicer box, which is strange. The ring really pales in comparison to the box 
it came in. The treasure of this engagement ring, which symbolizes this man's commitment to this woman, his love shown through the countless hours of researching the perfect ring, with the perfect cut, clarity, color, and carrot, the perfect setting that matches her personality. Now all of this was lost in the grandeur and glory of the box, a box that usually no one cares about. When couples in our church get engaged, I often see you know, all the girls just flock to the fiancé. They don't ask to see the box. They don't ask, oh, did he go to Jared's? No, they just want to see the ring, because that's the treasure. That's what matters. Likewise, in Corinth, there are these uh, cheap pottery lamps. These pottery lamps were thin and frail. But precisely because of its thinness and frailness, it was able to let out more light. So when Paul talks about the treasure in jars of clay, it's to show that the light comes from another source. The power comes from Paul. I mean, power comes from God and not Paul. So gospel-centered ministry glorifies God and demonstrates his power. Verse 7 governs our passage for today. But Paul has more to speak about what this looks like, what this treasure in jars of clay looks like. The passage continues in verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul has suffered immensely for his faith. We read that earlier in that verse in chapter 11. But God has delivered him time and time again. In these few phrases, we find this paradox of of death, of dying, and, and yet receiving life. There's this weakness, but the but not in each of these phrases signals there's a power from God. In each of these phrases, Paul increases the intensity of his suffering. We are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And yet with the increase in suffering, we see the extraordinary and mighty power of God reaching in and touching Paul. We are not crushed. We are not driven to despair. We are not forsaken. We are not destroyed. And different scholars have offered you know, various translations to try and get at the, the wordplay and the meaning that Paul is getting at here. And I'd like to share a couple of these with you because I think they're actually pretty good. We're squeezed, but not squashed. We're bewildered, but not befuddled. And I really like this one. We're knocked down, but not knocked out. And Paul suffers. And God delivers him. God is the divine superglue, or, or the divine craggle, if you will, that keeps this broken earthenware vessel together. This broken and weak jar intact. There may be cracks, but God holds this jar of clay together. 
And the suffering is not without purpose. It's to testify to God, His power, His deliverance. It's to testify to the gospel. Because for Paul, you know, Paul is basing it off of Christ crucified, his death and resurrection. Verse 10, we always carry in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Again, he says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Being a jar of clay, carrying in us the death of Jesus, dying to ourselves is not without purpose. But so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. But what does this really mean? We have this twin reality of suffering and deliverance, and through this twin reality, the true character of God's unique salvation is manifested in the world. Paul draws upon Jesus' death and resurrection as a paradigm for his ministry, and likewise as a paradigm for our ministry and how we serve the church. We kind of see a glimpse of this in what Jesus says in Mark 8. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. And it's through this suffering that Paul's life and his ministry testifies to God's deliverance. So in our last verse for our passage today, and Paul writes, so death is at work in us. And you would think, you would expect that based off of everything he's been talking about, so far that he would conclude this sentence by saying, but life is also at work in us. But that's not what he says. He changes direction here. He makes a new point, a related point. He says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. We have this treasure in jars of clay which glorifies God and demonstrates His power. This suffering and deliverance in, in Paul's life testifies to God's power. But at the same time, now we see that life now means grace that has reached the Corinthians, that has reached the people through this ministry. Paul suffers as a messenger of the good news that those to whom he came might have the life that Christ's death made possible for them to have. Many of you have already heard of the tragic church shooting that happened in Charleston a week and a half ago, something that Jess prayed about. In just the last few days, uh, there was a video that surfaced and circulated around the internet of the bond hearing of the alleged killer, Dylan Roof. This video documented an incredible scene where in the midst of deep, excruciating suffering. The family members of those slain bore witness to what it means to have the life of Christ. When they one by one told Dylan, I forgive you. The news outlets cover this because the nation was in awe. This is not the natural response of those who experience such tragedy. This is not the natural response of those who experience such personal loss. 
Now let's be clear, forgiveness doesn't excuse him for what he did. Forgiveness doesn't let him off the hook. Forgiveness is not at odds with justice. And if you watch the video, you can hear these people calling on him to repent. Because they know that if even if justice is not served in this life, justice will be served when, when the just king, the victorious king God, returns. And they can offer such forgiveness because they know what it is to forgive from the forgiveness they received in Christ. And it spoke volumes. One example is just this writer who tweeted, I'm a non-Christian. And I must say, this is a remarkable advertisement for Christianity. Now, advertisement is probably not the best word choice with all its connotations. Perhaps testimony would be better, but we can't fault him for using non-Christian jargon. The point remains that in their suffering, light shone through. In their suffering, they testified to something beyond them. So Paul, in his response to his opponents, gives us an understanding of what gospel-centered ministry looks like. It glorifies God. It demonstrates His power, and not ours. Does this mean we're called to suffer in the same way as Paul? Does this mean we're, we have to be shipwrecked for Christ? Do, do we have to be in danger for Christ? No, not necessarily. But there is a measure of dying to ourselves and following Christ. Of enduring the challenges of walking with God. That point to a power not from within, but from up above. And Paul draws upon Christ as the paradigm for his ministry. Likewise, we see it as a paradigm, a model for us. We must approach and think about ministry with the same understanding that Paul had. It's not pretty. It's not glorious. It's not about us when we go out and and share the good news of the gospel. And sometimes it's easy for us to be concerned or overly concerned about us. We're worried about how well we can articulate our faith. We're worried about the impressions that we make or how well we come off. Sometimes more so than we need to. So much so that maybe it prevents us from actually going out in the first place. But let us remember, let us approach this idea of ministry, this understanding of what it means to further God's kingdom with an emphasis that it's about God's glory and giving the glory to Him. And that through jars of clay, his power is demonstrated. That it is he who says, let light shine in the hearts of these individuals. When we serve in church, when we do ministry outside the walls of this church, it's not about a triumphant ministry, but about a triumphant God. So to God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, let this word today be a firm reminder to us 
that we are weak, that we are fragile. But yet at the same time, we have this light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. That this gospel that we believe in, it's a treasure. It's something precious. And when we go out, when we serve the church, when we're up here on the podium, when we're out there mingling with the people and serving you, may it never be about us. May we always be pointing to you and letting your light shine and giving you the glory. In Jesus' name.